All right. Well, if there's no other questions, if you can take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing is sort of previewing or setting ourselves up for looking at how we can find hope in the darkness of this world. Again, we talked about how there are cosmic powers of, uh, in this, of darkness that are operating in this world in which we live today. And what we're going to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to be brief, and I mean that. I mean that, that we're going to be brief. I only have like a tenth of a page of notes here. Of course, there's a lot to say, but I only have a tenth of a of page of notes here. But what I want us to do is just sort of look at, at the Scripture and let the Scripture stand on its own. There's not going to be a lot of explanation. Um, there'll be a few things that I mention here and there. But I want us to really see how Paul calls us to not lose heart. Do not lose heart. You know, we weren't created for the world in which we live. You know that? The world in which we live is corrupted by sin. Um, we were created to live in paradise. Now, if you think about what the scene is uh, in, in the Garden of Eden, it is glorious. Every single fruit given, except every single tree given to provide fruit and food for, for Adam and Eve. Except one. Just stay away from one. There were multiple blessings. God gave animals. Um, Adam was able to have dominion. There was a blessing that God gave upon them that they would be fruitful and multiply. He cared and tended for the garden himself by bringing a mist up to water it. All Adam and Eve had to do was just sort of take care of things and to exercise dominion in a perfect world that God had created. But sin entered the world. And corruption began to work throughout the world. And, and God cursed this world. He didn't just curse the world. He also cursed Adam and Eve. He cursed the serpent. He cursed the ground. And he told them that no longer will they have eternal life, but they would die. And now we live in a world that is filled with dying things. We live in a world where darkness seems to be around every single corner. In fact, if you look at the next chapter, after Genesis chapter 3, you have Genesis chapter 4, and you see the first family of humanity there. How do things go for them? Terrible. Imagine being the parents of those two sons. Imagine Eve's heartbreak. Particularly when she thought that Cain, the firstborn, was going to be the promised seed that would reverse the curse. I've gotten, or the Lord has given me a man. And in that moment, as sin begins to work its way, there's immediate pain brought upon the circumstances of life. Jealousy, sedition, rebellion, murder, among a family. 
among the closest of relationships. And so I can imagine Eve weeping as her youngest son, Abel, her, if you will, baby boy, is killed at the hand of her firstborn, at the hand of Cain. And not only that, but Cain is now her, her only son. Her, Cain is sent away from humanity. He's driven from among the face of men because of his sin. Imagine the darkness that Eve felt at that moment. That darkness continues today. Families are fracturing because of the sinful actions of those involved in it. Society is crumbling because of sinful choices. Not only do we have those interpersonal issues, but there's also sickness. Sickness that causes pain, causes difficulty, causes what God has created to not function the way he created it. There's physical pain, there's emotional pain. As we go about our lives, sometimes there are just things that strike us that leave us feeling, as we like to say, blue. The world in which we live, we are not created for. So how are we to, if you will, soldier on? How are we to make it in this world? The world has all sorts of options for you. They want you to numb the pain by seeking any, any number of sinful pleasures, which will provide pleasure for a season. Let's not be, let's not be you know, coy about this. Our world says you can find satisfaction and fulfillment in, in sexual liberation. You can find it in entertainment. You can find it in the pursuit of drugs and alcohol as a way to numb the effects of the world in which we live. You can find it in seeking fulfillment in your career. You can find it in making a name for yourself and, and having, having prestige and being well-known in the world around us. You can find it in making a splash and having the best toys or the thickest bank account. And the reality is, is that every single one of these trifling things that the world tells us is going to bring us satisfaction, hope, it always falls short. And when we look to and when we seek to find hope in all of these other things, we will eventually recognize that we are back in the depths of despair. But the scriptures call us to not lose heart. I love that term, do not lose heart. I can't think of a better description of someone who is depressed than as someone who has lost their heart. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read through the entire chapter and then we'll just come and make some observations. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is presence, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I just want us to see five reasons Paul gives for him making this statement twice, not once, but twice, that he does not lose heart. The first thing we see is we're not to lose heart. Do not lose heart because you have seen the glory of Christ. Do not lose heart because you have seen the glory of Christ. Now, this begins in verse 1. He says, therefore, now when you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it's what? Therefore. And therefore is a term, it's, it's a word that's used to connect the previous thought with what Paul is saying. So what was the previous thing he said? Well, where do we need to look for that? In chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face. So, in other words, he says that the believer has no impediment upon him because of the Holy Spirit, which he describes earlier in this passage. We are with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. 
It is the vision of God's glory that Paul speaks of here that is now transforming him into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so his response, that we know this verse very well. It speaks about what sanctification is and how we're changed more and more into the image of God. This is a well-known verse. But Paul takes this reality and he makes it then when he says, Therefore, the reason why he does not lose heart. Is there anything greater than the glory of God? No. And we who have come to Christ have been privileged to see the glory of God in Christ. He sees, says this again in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he says this. Now we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. How was Paul able to not lose his heart? To not lose heart as he, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the despair and the difficulties that he's facing. How is he able to do this? Because he has a treasure found in something that cannot be touched. Remember what Jesus said about where we should lay up our treasures? Should we lay up our treasures in bank accounts and in safes here on the earth? Why? What does Jesus say? Because moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. Everything in this world is susceptible to destruction or to be taken away from you. Everything. But you know what no one in this world can take away from you? The vision that you have in Christ of God's glory. That becomes your treasure. That becomes the thing that you are able to look to no matter what your circumstances are. Now, this is important for us to keep in mind because one of the reasons why despair sets into the hearts of believers is because we do not treasure the glory of God as we ought. Jeremiah speaks of this as God rebukes Israel. He says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me. And who is the one whom they're forsaking? The fountain of living waters. Just a quick note, Jeremiah 2.13, we're going to be coming back to this a lot in February. It's a very significant passage for us. And so what is the evil that Israel has done? Well, they've, they've forsaken Yahweh as their treasure. And when Yahweh is their treasure, when the Lord is their treasure... They don't need to want for anything. I mean, the God whom they serve, he makes it rain bread from heaven. And it's not like, it's not like the $1.50 wonder bread. This is like the $12.50 artisan loaf of bread. I mean, he gives abundant, delicious, wonderful food. And when, when his people started complaining about the bread, what does he give them? Quails. There was this, he says, grab your bat and, and these quails are going to fly low and you just knock them off and there's your food. I mean, this is the God who satisfies them in a, in a physical sense, so much so that when they were thirsty, he makes water come out of what? A rock. And so those physical 
um, those physical provisions are just a, a, a window into the spiritual provision that God provides. He is the fountain of living waters. But when Jeremiah speaks to Israel, they are not a people who are filled with joy and happiness. They are a people who are filled with turmoil and anguish. And one of the reasons... Not the only reason, but one of the reasons is that they have forsaken the treasure that is the Lord. And they've decided to hew out for them cisterns. They've done this themselves, and these cisterns are broken cisterns. They can hold no water. What good is a water bottle with holes in the bottom? Not very good. You maybe will be able to drink a little bit from it quickly, but eventually the water that you have there, what's going to happen to it? It's all going to roll and run out. And so Paul sets, and I think it's important that, he, that we look at this at the very get-go. He sets his hope, he sets his treasure in Christ. He is He is the image of the glory of God. And so by setting that as his treasure, what he describes, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, what he describes as the things he faces, those things do not affect his treasure. You know, what what Paul is describing here is a proper view of worship to the only God who is. What Jeremiah is describing is idolatry. There is a great danger when we set our treasure, when we set our hope on things that are not Christ. Because when our hope is set in idols, we will face despair. Because they will fail us every single time. You know why idols fail us every single time? They don't exist. They're not real. And yet we look to them rather than the fountain of living waters. I think of what Paul is going to describe in verses 8 through 12. That if he had a different treasure, he would have been in complete and utter despair. Let's say that Paul's treasure had just been, and and this is a simple one. Like we think about this and we take this for granted. Let's just say that Paul's treasure was not being beaten up. (laughs) All right. Now, who here likes to be beaten up? (laughs) Nobody likes to be beaten up. And I would probably reckon that almost all of you here have not been beaten up. I had one fight in elementary school, and I won. I didn't beat up the guy, but it was it was it was sixth grade. It was stupid, and you know, most of us have never have never understood what it means to be stoned or beaten or whipped. But what's amazing here is Paul is saying that if you know if that had been his treasure. I just, I I will do anything for the Lord except get beaten up. Then as he describes him being beaten up, would he not have despaired? If that was his hope? Because his treasure would have failed him. But because Christ was his treasure and hope, he never had to despair. Look again in verses 8 through 11. What, what, does it, what is it that Paul is able to endure if, because he has the glory of Christ as his treasure? 
He was afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now, what does he mean there, caring about the the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested? And and I think what we have to recognize and understand about what's happening there is, is the more Paul is persecuted, the more he praises Jesus. It is a constant reminder to the world around him that there is nothing that they can take away from him that will take away his Savior. And the world looks on in awe at that. How can, how can Paul, being beaten, stoned, left for dead multiple times, continue to praise this king because he is his treasure? And even if he died, that would not take away his treasure. And so for him, it, it brings him... And Listen, Paul, Paul here does not describe life as not having its difficulties, even internally. He talks about how he was perplexed. I think everybody asks the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And there's, there's reasons to question that question in even of itself. There are no good people. There's only a good Christ. But nonetheless, we look at it and we see God's people suffering. And we're like, why? And Paul himself is perplexed. Why is this happening? But that perplexion did not drive him to despair. He recognized that even though the world turned away from him persecuted, he was not forsaken. He always had that hope of the glory of Christ. And that even though he would be struck down physically, it would not destroy him. And so the first thing that Paul reminds us of here is that we do not lose heart because we've seen the glory of Christ. I don't know what perplexing, difficult thing you may be facing. I don't know where the darkness is in your life and in your heart, but you can be sure that when Christ is your treasure, he will never fail you. So you do not lose heart. But secondly, we also do not lose heart because we have light in the darkness. We do not lose heart heart because we have light in the darkness. In verse 5, Paul talks about how his proclamation is not himself, but rather it's Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, why is it that Paul is describing and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord? Well, that's his treasure. What do you talk about? You talk about the things that you love the most. You talk about your treasure. Nope. Grandparents out there, what do you love to talk about? Your grandkids. They're your treasure. Parents, if they're not dealing with the teenage years, they like to talk about their kids as their treasure. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with those things so long as they do not become idols in and of themselves. So Paul is saying, listen, I, I proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. I proclaim him as my treasure. Why? Well, because the same God, in verse 6, the same God who said, let 
light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love how Paul, how Paul brings about and looks all the way to creation. We know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, with void and, and, and uh, without form and with void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, and what was the first thing God created after he created the world? God said, let there be what? Light. And what happened? There was light. And so that same creative work that God does is the same thing that he does in our own hearts. As God makes light shine out of darkness, so it is for us who live in a darkened world that the light of Jesus shines even in the darkness, especially in the darkness. You may be either listening to the sermon or here this evening, tuned in online, and you feel like you're in the darkness. You feel like you're surrounded by the difficulties of this life and that there's no hope in them. You may be on the cusp of losing heart. But look at the light of Jesus. Jesus brings light to darkened circumstances. Again, there is such a hope that we are not like we once were. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Why are they perishing? Because the God of this world has blinded them. Blinded their minds so that they cannot see the glory or the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Do you know what? No matter how dark your circumstances may be, if you are in Christ, you have the light. And you can look to that light no matter what's going on in your circumstances. No matter how dark the day may be. No matter how dark the night may be. You always have light in Jesus. What does Jesus say? I am the light of the world. If you're facing dark days, you can look to Jesus who is your light. But that's not all that Paul gives you. That's only the first two. We still have three more to go. We've got five minutes to do it. Do not lose heart because your inner man can be renewed. Look at verse 16. After Paul has described what he's facing and, and talked about all these different things and, and the suffering that he's having and how God is actually using that to create or allow grace to extend more and more, he again repeats it in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. So he's already told us those two reasons. Why? Right? He's seen the glory of Christ. He has the light of Christ. Those two things prompted the first, we do not lose heart. Well, what about the second we do not lose heart. Why does he say it again? He says, because even though our outer self is wasting away. Now, what an interesting statement. His outer self is wasting away. I praise the Lord that I have relatively good health. But as I, as I get older, I begin to notice more the outer self wasting away. 
Sometimes, you know, I don't sleep exactly the right way, and my whole day is ruined that next day, all right? I'm sure those of you who are, I, I asked this question last week as to what I should call you, and you just said old. So those of you who are old, <laughs> I'm sure you can commiserate with the idea of your outer self wasting away. And that's just the effects of the fall and the effects of this of the sinful world in which we live having its way in your life from a physical standpoint. Paul, the things he described are real, physical, and emotional difficulties that are facing him all the time so that outwardly, from a physical standpoint, he is wasting away. You know, I think sometimes we think of the Apostle Paul as this, this very strong, virulent figure that, that, uh, that would have been an imposing um, influence on the New Testament church. He wasn't. We see in, in both in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians him alluding to this idea that he was not of great stature. He was probably a short guy. Um, there are some, I think we have some things that are said in the church fathers that describe that, that he really was not the most attractive type of person. His body and his visage was pro probably permanently marred by the stonings and the beatings he faced throughout his life. He would walk in here and, and we would probably not think, boy, this is the Apostle Paul. We would think, what's wrong with this guy? And Paul says that even though his outer man is wasting away, he's able to find hope because his inner self is being renewed, what? Day by day. Every single day, day in and day out, his inner man is renewed. I think one of the things that can become a cause of despair and despondency and depression among God's people are the physical ailments, the physical things we face on a day-to-day -day basis. Our outer self is wasting away. We know of people who face cancer. Some people deal with illnesses that are never clearly defined. And these things gnaw at us. You wake up and you, you just you beg God, let the pain go away. And it's still there. And your outer self wastes away. But Paul says he doesn't lose heart even in those moments because he's able to have his inner man renewed by looking to and finding hope in his treasure. You know, the reality of this hope is so helpful for us because you probably won't be able to do much about your elders your outer self wasting away. Surely you can exercise and live healthy. Surely you can diet. Surely you can take the medicines that, that we live in a world today that provide relief for so many different types of things. But there are sometimes things that, you, that nothing can be done from a medical standpoint. And certainly if your outer self is wasting away because of the way someone else is treating you, you can't control other people. You can't control how they act. You can't control what they do. And those things can cause you to, to, to waste away. Your 
outer man is often not in your control. The status and the, and the affliction of your outer man is often not in your control. But your inner man is. And no one can take that away from you. When Paul and Barnabas were locked up in a jail cell, they couldn't do anything about their freedom. They couldn't do anything about their circumstance. But what could they do? Sing! They could renew their inner man by looking to him. So we do not lose heart because our inner man can be renewed. Fourthly, I think this is important. We do not lose heart because our affliction is temporary. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. After he says his inner self is being renewed day by day, he speaks of this light and momentary affliction. Now, that's, that's, that's so interesting that he says it that way. Because as I read what he said in verses 7 through 12, it doesn't seem light, <laughs> all right? Being beaten, afflicted, driven to despair, per, uh, I'm sorry, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying about the body of death, that doesn't seem light. But actually what Paul is exhibiting here is how he is able to see as he contrasts the glory he has in Christ with his circumstances that in comparison to the glory he has in Christ, it is light. It doesn't hold a candle to the treasure he has in him. But he also says that it is light and momentary. It does not last I think we oftentimes hear when the scripture tells us that life is but a what? What does it tell us about the brevity of life? Life is but a vapor, right? Right? Like, you know, you, we, you blow out a candle and you see that smoke rise for a few seconds and then it's gone. That's your life. And I think sometimes we look at that and that can sort of... Uh, Create sadness for us, like, oh, you're right. And again, the older you get, the more you recognize how fast that vapor is going. But there's also hope in that, that this life is not anything in comparison to eternity. And so while we suffer now, can you imagine 10 billion years in the future when you're with the Lord, still marveling at his glories? probably not even going to think about the things that you're facing now. And so there's great hope. Again, Peter talks about this. In this you rejoice, though now for a, what does he say? Little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Listen, we can, don't have to lose heart because this is not the end. This, this too shall end. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that sometimes if you walk with life through a lifetime of pain, that doesn't minimize the pain and the difficulty that it brings upon you, but it is not forever. What is forever is the glory that you have in Christ. And then the final thing that Paul points to is we do not lose heart because our confidence is not of this world. He says in verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How are we able to keep that in our focus as we go through life? As we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. They won't last, but the things that are unseen, they're what? Eternal. Which actually ties in very nicely with what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, there are spiritual evil in, these, in the spiritual realm and in these heavenly places. But you know what? We have our treasure in Christ who has triumphed over all of that. And so we're not to look at the things of flesh and blood. This world will not last. It will not endure. Love that old that old country hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. He goes on in the chorus, O Lord, you know I have no one but you. That is the echo of what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that we cannot lose heart because we have this great treasure in jars of clay. So I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what darkness surrounds your life. I don't know what clouds linger over your head. But do not lose heart. Do not lose heart because you've seen the glory of Christ. Do not lose heart because you have light in the darkness. Do not lose heart because your inner man can be renewed. Do not lose heart because your affliction is temporary. And do not lose heart because your confidence is not bound to this world. Paul says it twice. We do not lose heart. As you leave these doors today, as you close your browser, if you're listening to this on some uh, online application, as you, as you close out of this, can that be your testimony as, true, as well? That you can say with Paul, I do not lose heart. Now we have much more to examine regarding the darkness and the despondency and the despair that we all at times face the sadness of life. But I think this is a good start, a preview of more wonderful things to come as we look at the hope we have in our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful hope that we do not need to lose heart because we have you. May we take these principles and apply them to our hearts and lives and go from this place truly having heart, having hope in you. We pray this all in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.